0: Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels? But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hello Cornerstone, grace and peace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue in Luke, the series we are going through, a series of messages through the Gospel of Luke. And this week we're in chapter 9. So I want to start off with the question, how would you define the good life? Would it be being entertained, like continually not having to work, uh, gaining enough wealth so that we could retire early and travel the world? Maybe achieving success in our profession and being rewarded for that and recognized for that. Um, Maybe it's getting a PhD and um, teaching and researching and publishing and getting to the top of our field. Or maybe it's just simply getting married and having children and getting to see our grandchildren grow and develop. That would be the good life. Or it could be just wanting to be relieved of uh, chronic pain or illness or a permanent disability that we have. Maybe, uh, and some of these things, maybe in part, is what you envision as the good life. What did Jesus mean when he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly? Now, this sounds like the good life. Uh, Jesus gives us insight in what the good life is that he has in mind for us who follow him here and now in our text today in Luke 9, 18 through 27. Now, our text starts with Jesus asking his disciples who uh, people think he is and who do they think he, uh, he is. And then he tells them what will happen to him in detail. Uh, and then after that, he transitions and he teaches them um, what is uh, required of him to have a faith as a follower of him um, that follows him like the way he lives his life. You see, there were rumors ongoing at that time period about who Jesus was, who people thought he was. And so Jesus brings this up to his disciples uh, in the beginning of our text. Let me read uh, verse 18 again to us. Now it happened that he was preparing alone, I mean, he was praying alone. The disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who did the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. From the Gospel of Mark, we know uh, and learn in chapter 6 that Herod, the leader, um, heard these rumors as well. And that he actually believed that Jesus was John the Baptist, whom he had killed. Uh, he had executed John by cutting off his head. Uh, but he thought Jesus was John the Baptist, risen from the dead. But then Jesus asked his disciples the question that was he was most concerned about in verse, the next two verses. And the buddy said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. <clears throat> Jesus here was making a prediction of what was going to happen to him. This this phrase, Son of Man, was a term Jesus used to refer to himself uh, as the Messiah, the and it came from Daniel the Old Testament book of Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 listen to what Daniel wrote in in that that those verses in my vision at night i looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence he was given authority glory and sovereign power all peoples Nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus was unique in his use of this term, the Son of Man, as referring to himself as the Messiah, God's anointed one. Now Jesus had just asked his disciples who they thought he was. And Peter replied that he was the Christ, the Messiah, so he got it right. And the disciples had witnessed the power of God working through Jesus and his miracles, his healings. And so they, they knew and believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews they believed. And then after hearing this confession uh, from Peter, Jesus began to teach them about his suffering that was coming. And he taught his disciples that four things would happen to him. He would suffer, one, that he would be rejected, that he would be killed, and then he would rise again. And this was the first time he had spoken just so plainly about these things with his disciples. And he gave detail about it, right? He goes into the details that the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes who were the teachers of the law would cause him suffering, and they would reject him, and these were respected Jewish leaders of that day. And then he would be killed, though he didn't mention how he would be killed at this point. And then he would rise again on the third day. You know, when I read this prediction of Jesus to his disciples, I think how dull could they be? Uh, because you fast forward to the when things are started to unravel. Uh, exactly like jesus said they would you would think that the disciples at some point would have a memory triggered of these words that jesus said not only here but in other places too of the, what was going to happen but it it seems like they didn't get it they didn't get it at this point they didn't get it at the time things were unraveling where jesus was arrested and then rejected by the sanhedrin uh you would think they would be thinking hey This is exactly like Jesus said it would happen but it didn't seem to happen that way and then Jesus goes on to teach the disciples his followers what he requires of them or anyone who wants to come after him he says or follow him as Lord and he and he says and he begins at verse 23 if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me here jesus describes a faith that follows him and that is what is required of all his followers that we must follow him as he lived and so this first requirement that he he spells out in this statement is self-denial the cross was an instrument of ex- execution and if If you carried a cross beam, which was what Jesus was doing for a little while and the other two as well, or anybody in that day and age, if you were carrying a cross, you were going to die. You had been condemned to death. You lost your life. And Jesus instructs us that we are to be likewise losers for Him. You know, self denial means giving up our personal rights, uh, to lose focus on ourselves and instead focus on Jesus. But we are to lose that focus on self, to deny ourselves. In the original Greek language of the New Testament, the force of this verb follow is one that could mean, I could rephrase it saying, keep on following me. It's a present active. It's an ongoing action. And it's also emphasized right before that as you know, take up your cross daily. Uh, so they add this word daily and then uh, use this, verb tense, and follow. This is an ongoing self-denial. It's part of our faith that follows Jesus. To deny self does not mean to deny things. It means to give ourselves wholly to Christ and share in His shame and death. To take up a cross does not mean to carry burdens or have problems. To take up the cross means to identify with Christ in His rejection, shame, suffering, and death words of Warren Wiersbe. And at the very heart of the Christian gospel is the cross, the symbol of suffering and sacrifice, of rejection, of humility, of pain, of hurt. Self-denial for Christ's sake affects the way we live every day. It affects our choices we make. It changes how we hope for the future. For example, listen to what William Booth, who was the founder of Salvation Army, wrote to himself at the age of 20. This is a young man of the age of 20. I will, one, rise every morning sufficiently early and have a few minutes, not less than five, in private prayer. Two, avoid all the babbling and idle talking in which I have lately so sinfully indulged. Three, endeavor to conduct myself as a humble meek and zealous follower of the bleeding lamb and by serious conversation and warning endeavor to lead others to think of their immortal souls. 4. Read no less than four chapters in God's Word every day. 5. Strive to live closer to God and to seek after holiness of heart and and leave providential events with God. 6. Read this over every day or at least twice a week. God help me, Enable me to cultivate a spirit of self-denial and to yield myself a prisoner of love to the Redeemer of the world. Again, William Booth at the age of 20. That is self-denial that affects everyday choices. What choices are you making out of a faith of self-denial? When we choose to avoid reading God's Word daily, when we choose to not worship or pray regularly to the Lord God, then we are not following Jesus in self-denial. We have excuses of why we don't do this, or we're too busy, or this and that, our schedule's too packed, or whatever it is. We are not denying ourselves. We are letting our self-choices that benefit ourselves to carry us forward. We are choosing to put other things, really, instead of in place of following Jesus. The second requirement Jesus taught is in verses 24 and 25. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So the second requirement To have a faith that follows Jesus is to lose everything for Jesus. Now, to yourself right now, say out loud the word loser. Okay, now I want us to all say it together, but let's use this hand symbol and put it to our forehead like this, and let's say it together again. Loser. This doesn't seem right, does it? (laughs) Uh, The use of the word loser, though, in this context uh, doesn't mean that we're like trash or we're failures or scum. No, loser instead means uh, that we lost something. Like we had possession of it, but we now don't have possession of it. Uh, It's not uh, that we lost something in the sense of a competition or a game. No, but it's in the sense that we don't have it anymore. It's gone. It's not ours. And Jesus taught something here that is not emphasized or understood very well today in our culture. Uh, And then this is that we are to have a faith as followers of Jesus, as losers, because we lose everything for him. We give him our lives. How would you answer these questions? I got these questions from uh, Paul Tripp. What do you feel you can't live without? Or what has the ability to make or break your day? What does your use of money tell you about what's important to you? What would a video recording of your last six weeks reveal? Are we asking something in creation to do something for us that only the Creator can do? See, because things and people are physical, and so we can taste them and touch them and smell them and feel them. Um, but it's and then it's tempting to look at them to give us something. That only God can provide and we start to look at these physical things and pursue them as if they can give us the good life you know but these things are not made to do that they are made simply by the Lord God to point to him as creator so that we worship him and and realize that only he alone can truly satisfy our hearts not anything in his creation think that Jesus came and he said that he is the bread of life and we will no longer hunger. That he is the living water and we will have no more thirst if we drink of him. Looking to something in creation to do uh, what was meant only that from the creator being able to do uh, will disappoint us. And not only will it disappoint us when we look to something that is created to satisfy us, but it will enslave us we will become addicted to it because the pleasure it gives us is so short that we have to keep going back and back and back to it again and again and again because we're not satisfied. And so we then soon live like we have to have it, right? We can't live without it. We need that extra fix, another fix of whatever it is. And what we tightly hold on to then tightly holds on to our hearts. It grips our hearts. And whatever holds our hearts then dictates our words and our actions. And so this brings us to the idea of this season, which is Lent. It started last Wednesday. This Lenten season in the church calendar, meaning the church, the universal church, um, is a period of time every year to pause and reflect on what things do we love too much what things in creation or people do we crave too much or to love too much Um, we and they have a hold on our hearts if jesus did not come to rescue us from our worldly pursuit of the good life then we would lose our lives but on the other hand, when we lose our life for Jesus, then we truly find life. We truly live. Following Jesus is death. And it's our death. Jesus died so that we may live. And now he asks us to lose our lives so that we may find life in him. It's, it's like a, this paradox. We lose our life for him only to find it. And it's a much better life, a real life, an abundant life that we find in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus continues then to call us who follow him to die over and over again to ourselves, to deny ourselves because it is a way as a follower of Jesus. So are we really ready to lose our lives for Jesus? Uh, What does this look like? Well, we don't have to go far to find out, right? We can just go back to verse 22 where Jesus predicted what was going to happen to him, what he was going to experience. And he ended up losing his life in order to pay the penalty for our sin that we deserved. Uh, He lost his life because of his love for you and me. He lost his life because we continue to sin against him and we need forgiveness for that. He denied himself, gave up his life, and now he asks you and me who follow him to do the same, to live like he lived. He asks us to lose our lives for him. Are we losers for Jesus or are we consumers instead? Are we always thinking as a consumer, what's do I get out of this? What's in it for me? And Consumers think of paying as little as possible to get as much as they can. But those of us who are losers for Jesus are willing to give up everything, to lose everything for Jesus because He already paid for it all. It's not ours to begin with anyway. It's His. You know, this November will be the 35th anniversary of my father's death. 35 years. It's hard for me to believe it's been that long. And I remember very clearly when I was in high school, one day when he came to me with a very serious look on his face and had me sit down. And he asked me what I would think if he quit his job uh, working for digital equipment at that time. And and he, he had a plan. He, he said that he would work instead at the home business that he started in our basement a few years before that. Um, and I remember that time period less the years before he approached me like this. Um, he was in upper management, uh, you know he'd worked for this in this field and he was an electrical engineer and he got into management and he was making good money and uh, but he 'd come home with headaches often and stressed out and tired and um, yeah, he just didn 't seem happy so of course, as his son i I wanted him to be happy and but then So I said, yeah, but he wanted, he he warned me that uh, if he were to do this, that he would be making one third of what he was currently making at that time. And so life would have to change dramatically for us at home. I was the only child still living at home. And he said, we'd have to be very careful in how we spent money from this point on, because we would not have (laughs) the income that we had before. And... The way we live would need to change. Uh, We'd have to be very careful. And, you know, this meant so much to me that my father would come to me as a high school student and ask me my opinion on this. Um, And, of course, I wanted my dad to be happy, so I told him to go for it. And I am so glad that he actually quit his job and did this because the next three years, uh, we get to work side by side. I, of course, was working in the family business Already and uh, helping out and so we worked side by side we got to be closer than ever uh, the last three years of his life Uh, he died in 1986 so this was three years before he died and and those years I treasure those memories that we have together and I you know the years after he gave up that good paying job and his career and in corporate management Um, It was a time of happiness and satisfaction and joy in my father's life. He loved going to work every day. The reason my father made this change was his faith in Christ. Because he wanted to, uh, he saw a need that for the ministry he was volunteering in, needed good quality uh, cassette tapes, audio cassette tapes. I know you might not even know what they are. But uh, so he started this business that would produce these good quality, uh, inexpensive uh, cassette tapes that could work at high speeds for the high-speed duplicators of this ministry he was in that they needed. And they had a hard time finding good quality tapes. They'd always jam in the machines and everything. So he figured it out as an engineer, and he started this business and produced it, not only for this ministry he was working in, but also for all the ministries in the New England area and even beyond outside of New England. And he could make cassette tapes at any length needed. And so this was the business that he, the Lord put on his heart and he just went for it. And it was such a joy for him. And he gained so much more than he lost in his career, quote, the good life. But he got the good life those last three years because he gave it up for Jesus. See, when we give up our life for Jesus, We end up saving it we end up actually truly living rather than just doing the rat race we could say spinning the wheel we end up gaining a lot more than we lost the third requirement jesus said in verse 26 for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels the third requirement is to trust in Jesus and his words. Now, do not be ashamed of him, basically. Uh, we're not ashamed of somebody we trust in, and his word. To be a follower means to believe in and trust Jesus and trust what he says, what he taught. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16 says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. 2 Timothy 1.8 says, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. A faith that follows Jesus is to die for him, be willing to stand up for him, no matter what the cost. And then we will truly live. So a faith that follows Jesus is one of self-denial, one that is willing to lose everything for Jesus. Not even willing, but loses everything for Jesus. And one that trusts Jesus so that we will stand up and not be ashamed of him. Jesus lost his life for us. Are we willing now to follow him in that example, and lose our lives for him, and then truly live? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your love for us. You loved us first and you instill in us your love through faith in Christ. And so we love you back and we pray, Lord, as Cornerstone that we would grow in that love, that experience of your love and that living out your love and that truth and be, experience the peace and the freedom and the abundance of life that come with following you, Lord Jesus, really following you with a faith that just follows you as our example and allows your spirit to enable us to do what is right, no matter what the cost. Actually, we gain more than we lose. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's great to be with you again, and we'll see you next week.